after Cain killed Abel, I may be wrong about who Cain married in the next few scriptures there. I may be wrong about that, and I can still go to heaven. He married his sister, just in case you wanted to know. I might be wrong on some things about creation. I am a literal six-day creation person. That's what I believe. You may believe that God took millions of years to develop and process this. You may believe in there, that there's a gap in between verse 1 and 2 where a lot of things happen. I may be, I, I may be wrong on that, and I can still make it to heaven. I may be wrong. My dad and I disagree on the tribulation a little bit. I may be wrong about being pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. This means I'm going to live in a better neighborhood than my dad. <laughs> I'll pay for that. But here's what I can't be wrong about. I cannot be wrong about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and expect myself to go to heaven someday. I cannot be wrong about the physical bodily resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If I believe that Jesus died on a cross, if I believe that he went to a cross and was crucified and died on that cross and was taken from that cross, I, I do believe that. But if that is all, that, if that's where my belief stops and there is a serious problem with me spiritually, theologically, and doctrinally, if I believe that that's where it stops. Because the resurrection of the Lord and Savior, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is an essential element of the Christian faith. Read what Paul says here, picking up in verse number 12 of chapter 15. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's talking to a group of people here who have begun to argue among themselves whether or not there is a bodily resurrection of the believer someday in the future. Now, Paul argues that there is a seamless connection between the resurrection of Christ in the recent past and the future resurrection of believers on the final day or the judgment day, the return of Christ. For some of the Corinthians denied. They were not denying that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 11 in the same chapter shows that they believed. But they denied that his followers would someday be raised from the dead. Paul emphasizes in the scriptures that we just read, you can go back and count, he emphasizes four times in verses 12 through 19 that those who deny the physical and bodily resurrection of believers are also um, deny the bodily resurrection of Christ. You can't say that we are going to be, you can't say that Christ is going to, has been physically resurrected 
and not believe that we are also going to be physically resurrected. Because if you believe that we're not going to be physically resurrected someday, then you have basically said that you don't believe that Christ was physically resurrected. Paul says in verse number 17 that if we believe that we will not, that Christ was not raised from the dead, that we are still in our sins. The proof that Christ's death was an effective substitutionary sacrifice for sins lies in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If, in fact, Christ has not been raised and his death did not pay for sin, and there is no hope for life with God in heaven. Go back and look at 18 and 19, what he says here. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we, if we die and our belief is in Christ, but we don't believe in a bodily resurrection, then we've just perished for no reason. And he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied you see if we don't believe in the physical resurrection then why are we here why would we be here this morning if we didn't believe that someday our body is going to be physically resurrected and be and meet Christ someday there is a resurrection of believers now we have discussed in the last few weeks we've discussed when we die, when we take our last breath on this earth, our soul is going at that moment to be immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. My soul will leave this, this body and will go to be immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our body will be resurrected to unite with my, our soul someday. Uh, and it will be glorified, and it will be fit for God's original plan. Because as we said, the most important thing that we've talked about in our study of heaven is this. God never gave up on his original plan. Not for this earth and the creation that he made here and that he has brought together here, and not for us in our physical bodies that will be resurrected someday. It says here, our, our resurrected bodies will be glorified for eternity. Look at verse number 42. Read with me here for these few verses. It says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And he goes on to say, in verse number 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The scriptures here say very clearly that this body that is perishable will go back to the earth someday. I may someday, I have no, I, I have no idea. Um, I may be on highlands. I may be out in memory gardens. I may be in an urn somewhere in a closet. But I know that this body that is perishing, that has been perishing since my birth, I know that someday this body that was sown perishable will be raised as imperishable. It will be raised to never die again. It, was so, it will be someday laid to rest in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. Now I want you to think about this, what these terms are saying to us have to do with our outward physical appearance at the Christian's resurrection. Our body 
our countenance will be physically attracted beyond anything imaginable. Do you know why I know that? Because it says we're going to be raised in the likeness of Christ. You just think I'm good looking right now. What do you see me in heaven? You won't even recognize me. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I wrote down nine observations that uh, Reverend Danny Aiken, the uh, president of Southeastern Seminary, put these together. And I, I, I used them this morning for our study here today. These are nine observations of what our bodies will be like after the resurrection. First of all, they'll be recognizable. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. At Christ's second coming, I will see Christ face to face. He will recognize me, and I will recognize him, and we will recognize each other there in heaven. We will know as we are known here on this earth. I won't have to introduce myself to you. You'll know me. We will be recognizable. Second of all, our bodies will be like Christ's body. They'll be glorified. 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We will be, our bodies will be like Christ's body, which is eternal. And then uh, something real interesting it says that they will not be limited by space. Luke 24, there, the last chapter of Luke, uh, the, of, of Luke, the account there of the Emmaus Road, the disciples and Jesus going home to eat with them, and after they recognized him, he vanished. Now, our bodies will not be limited by space. If we are made like Christ, we won't be limited by space. Is that does that mean, uh, you know, I'm going to vanish? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what all that entails. But we will be like Christ. I guess if I see my kids coming in heaven, I can, uh, I know, but they won't be needing money then, so maybe I'll stick around. Here's what's important, is they will be eternal. And I gave the wrong verse here. It's supposed to be 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, and I gave Sandy the wrong verses. But read these, flip over just a couple of pages. The second Corinthians chapter five, one through five, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. We're going to take this, this earthly tent that's temporary is going to be replaced by a physical nature that is eternal. Fifth thing here is our bodies will be glorious. Read Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. We suffer on this earth sometimes. We suffer loss. We suffer heartache. We suffer heartbreak. We suffer uh, tragedies and trials and tribulations in this life that weigh us down. 
But Paul here writing to the church in Rome says that these things that we're going through, these sufferings that we go through here in this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us in heaven where we will lay all those things down, those burdens will be gone, and we will live in a glorious state with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at at number 6 and 7. They correlate together here. We will have no pain, and we will not die. Revelation 21.4 says there will be no pain anymore, and death shall be no more. I I will never walk through these doors and have someone stop me on Sunday morning and say, did you know so-and-so passed away this morning? Did you know that so-and-so is having major surgery? They're in a great deal of pain. I visited people just this week who, who told me, I am in a tremendous amount of pain, and I just want you to pray for Christ to send me comfort from this pain. We won't have to pray those prayers anymore in heaven. There will be no pain and we will not die. Number 8 says we will not hunger or thirst in heaven. Revelation 7, 16 says they shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. Now I don't know if that means that we won't get to eat in heaven. I don't believe that because there is a marriage supper of the Lamb and I believe that we will physically eat. But we're not going to be driven by those emotions and those pains of hunger and thirst anymore. And finally... What is so wonderful to me, it says, that our bodies will not sin. Revelation 21, 27 says, But nothing unclean will enter it, talking about the gates of heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable. There will be no temptation to sin. There will be no sin. There will be no, uh, no, nothing unclean. There will be nothing detestable. When I am raised from this, from this earth to meet Christ and when I am physically resurrected and when that resurrected body meets that soul and when they are joined back together, there will be a moment there where I will be washed in the righteousness of, of Jesus Christ in a way that I, will, I can't understand and I can't explain. God who never knew sin, God who has never sinned, God who cannot lie, God who is incorruptible and without error and without blemish, and to know that for eternity I will be with him in a place where all those things will be gone, and I will live in a place where there is no sin. Some of y'all obviously knee deep in sin, or you'd be happy about that this morning. I'm telling you. I'm tired of living in a world where all this sin. I'm tired of every, I was, sitting in a, I was sitting in a business this week, and about, and about the time that I was sitting in it waiting, the news came on. And the person who owned the, the, tel, the, owned the business said, let's turn that. It's just depressing. Everything is a murder. Everything is a, it, it's just for the first 15 minutes it depresses you. You think about it. This world is sinful. This world is dirty. This world is tragic. And we are going to a place where the the effects of sin and the curse will be no more. And we'll never have to worry about those things again. And then we see that resurrection will have far-reaching effects. Flip back to Romans chapter 8 just a minute. Probably to me, 
in all of the um, New Testament epistles outside of the Gospels. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is the most important chapter in all of Scripture outside of the Gospels. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Rome, beginning in verse number 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul makes it clear here toward the end there in verse number 23 that we as believers are longing for that day. If you are a believer, one of, one of the greatest signs that you are a Christian, you're a believer, and you are in uh, the will of God and fellowship with Him, the way you should be is, is that you have a longing for that day. You have a longing to, to be that day resurrected, your body meeting Christ there when He comes and returns for His church. You have a longing for that. Well, Michael, that's morbid. No, it's not. Well, Michael, do, do you are are you just wanting to? No, I'm I'm not I, I'm I'm not afraid to die. I'm not volunteering this afternoon. But I'm not afraid of it because I I long to be in that place that I've just described to you. I told you last week: streets of gold, walls of jasper, and gates of pearls. They they interest me some. I'm interested to know about, I'm interested to see the new Jerusalem and to see that city that, that, that John is describing there. But if, if the roads were dirt and the walls were just plain old plaster, I still want to go because Jesus is there. I want to go because I long to be in his presence and be away from the troubles and trials of this world. But not just me, Paul says here, that every part of creation, everything that God created is looking earnestly and intently for the same manifest, manifestation of glory as we are. The natural and animal world are longing and, and living and wanting to know that, G, that God is going to come back and resurrect this earth to be what it was meant to be in creation. The coming of Christ is to be accompanied by an appearance of the redeemed and glorified form. Now, Randy Alcorn writes about the resurrection of our deeds in the book that I've been reading, Heaven. And he says that we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain because of our bodily resurrection. Our deeds will carry from the old world to the new. Not only our bodies, but our service for Christ will be resurrected. This is from the uh, book, Heaven, on page 134, the second paragraph, paragraph. Bruce Milner says this, Every kingdom work, whether publicly performed or privately endeavored, 
partakes of the kingdom's imperishable character. Every honest intention, every stumbling word of witness, every resistance of temptation, every motion of repentance, every gesture of concern, every routine engagement, every motion of worship, every struggle towards obedience, every mumbled prayer, everything literally which flows out of our faith relationship with the ever-living one will find its place in the ever-living heavenly order which will dawn at his coming. Everything that I have ever attempted for the glory of God, the writers here are saying that it will live on, my deeds will live on with me in heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul talking about when we see Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. We as believers will be at the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, beginning in verse number 12, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What's that saying? What I do and how I live matters not for today but for eternity there will be reward at the judgment seat of Christ for witnessing for living above temptation there will be reward for giving and going and loving and caring and helping and serving There will be great reward there that day, but there will also be loss for believers there that day. Loss that will matter for eternity. Reward that will matter for eternity and loss that will matter for eternity. We're we're saved and we're still in heaven. There There will be opportunities that we had here in this life to live and to do kingdom work that we over, that we look past or we refuse to do or we are not in God's will or there'll be sin that may have been a part of that that will there'll be lost for that day so sometimes when we well you know it really doesn't yeah it matters how we live matters every single day because it has eternal implications for the believer. Oh, well, Michael, I thought I was just going to die and I was just going to go to heaven and I was going to get a crown and I was going to live and we was going every day was going to be a birthday party and there is reward and there is loss. Don't be mad at me, be mad at Paul. He said it. And he got it from Jesus. But we have assurance of scripture that all believers will survive the fire of testing and be raised. Not only ourselves that will outlast this world, 
and be carried over to the new ones. It's what we do with our lives. It's how we live for Jesus Christ will matter. Revelation 14, 13, John says this, Our works will follow us, and our works do follow us. Our works will follow us to heaven. The products of faithful lives will survive. Now, if you've read the book Heaven, some of you have told me you're reading that book and how fascinated you are with it, but he, he proposes something here that I'm still thinking about. God is going to redeem this earth. He's going to resurrect this earth. And it's going to be as he intended it to be in creation. But he proposes there, as he's talking about that, that God is going to, to resurrect this earth and to, and to get it to that form, he's going to get rid of those things that are impure and are, are not, uh, you know. So what if, what if some of, he, he proposes, what if some of the things survive that are here now? What if this church building were to survive and to be a part of that? You ever thought about that? That'd be that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? To say I was a part of that church there, and it's it's. I'm I'm not telling you that's what I believe. That's just something that he proposed. And some of you like to go home and think about stuff, so I'm giving you something to think about. But what if what if through what we do here for the Lord, what if it remains? It's something to think about. Those of you who get on airplanes and go to Nicaragua or some of those, those places where churches have been established, what if those are, are, are there and we, and we get to go by and God has them there as, as something that was done in, in his name and done for his glory? Something to think about. Some of you missing out this afternoon wondering, saying, I wish he hadn't said that. Get your Bibles out. Read them. You, you come back next week and tell me. But here's the point I want to make in this part is this. What we do now matters for eternity. Here's what I want you to think about. Some of you are tired. Some of you are weary. Some of you have been working and laboring for the Lord and, you've, and, and there have been times as you work and labor for the Lord and as you try to to live for the Lord and live in His will, that you've looked around and even at church you can't find people who are trying to live and work and be in His will the way that you are. And maybe you've been at that for 40, 50, maybe you've been at it for 60 years. And there's been times where you've just sat and thought and wondered, why? Paul answers that question for us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And what I want to say to you this morning is, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep working for the Lord. Keep striving to grow to be more like Christ every day. You're going to meet Him someday at, at the resurrection. You're going to meet Him face to face with this physical body. I, I want you to leave this life completely exhausted from doing well and from living for living for the Lord and for witnessing and for sharing and for serving and for going and for giving and doing the things that He's called you to do. 
God has gifted some of you with a, a few things. God has gifted many of you with multiple abilities that you use for the Lord. Continue on. Do those things. And finish well. Whether you finish well here at Piedmont First Baptist Church or you finish well somewhere else where God calls you to minister or what, wherever you are, whether someday I, I have visited people in, uh, in our health care facilities at, at Duggar Mountain and, and other places, and they've told me this is where I am and this is where God has me and this is where I'm going to be a witness. I never forget going to the nursing home uh, Piedmont Healthcare, right after Miss Lois McCord went into the Piedmont Healthcare Center, and I went to see her, and she got up at 4 o'clock just about every morning, and she got fully dressed, and she ate her breakfast, and she was ready for the day. And she told me, she said, Michael, at first I was upset about coming here. She said, but you know what? There are people here who need to hear and know about Jesus, just like there are every other, every other place. And she said, I get up every morning, and I put on the best face that I can so that if I see those people and I have an opportunity to witness to them, I'm going to. That's finishing well right there. What's wrong with us? Where are you that you can't do that? It matters in heaven. It matters for eternity. I want to close this morning with this. And I, I just want to encourage you. I, I want to say to you, continue on. Continue. Just as Paul says, don't, don't grow weary in what you're doing. Look for your source of strength to be the Holy Spirit and allow Him to move through you and give you a vision for what it is you're supposed to do with this opportunity that you have to impact eternity for Jesus. Every person in here knows someone that in their family or in their work or at school or some, somebody who needs to know Christ. Is your life reflecting Christ in such a way that if you told them about Christ, they'd want to hear it from you? How are you living? It matters for eternity. We will someday face Jesus and we'll give an account for what we did with the life that he gave us. Give a good account. Give a good account. If you're here this morning and you've listened to us over the last few weeks, you've listened to me talk about heaven, you've listened to me talk about the fact that we have to be born again, we have to know Christ to, to go to heaven at the end of this life, now would be a wonderful opportunity for you to say, I want to live for Jesus the rest of my life. I want to know that I'm going to, when I leave this life, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. That I'm going to be with him there for eternity. And I want to begin this day to say, I'll follow you, Jesus. And I'll forsake the life that I was living. I'll repent and I'll turn from that life. And I'll follow you for the rest of my days. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you're a believer, but you have been living cold and far away from God. Now would be the perfect morning for you to say, I want to rededicate my life and my passions to be the passions of Jesus.
Maybe you need to follow in believer's baptism, or maybe you need to be a part of this church. Whatever it is during this time, I would ask every believer to pray, and I would ask those that the Holy Spirit is dealing with to move to this altar and to share what it is that God is leading you to do. Let's stand. Father, thank you this day. Thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to hear from your word. Thank you for how you don't want us to be ignorant about the life after we leave here. But you want us to know about eternity. And you've written it. We just have to search for it and find it. And Father, this morning I pray to God that there are those here who need to know Christ as Savior. Whatever, the, whatever anyone needs here today, dear God, I pray that they would move and find peace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.